Hello and welcome to the Corner Ballads Podcast. I'm Joe and I am here with Muse. Hello. And V. Hello. We're a comic podcast that uploads weekly. You can check the show notes for which comics we'll be covering this week and their timestamps so that you could skip over those titles if it's something you haven't read yet or you're just not interested in reading. Although, to be fair, our titles are about a week old because we took a week off and uh, we couldn't really find anything new that we wanted to cover. And this is also a special episode because we are not talking about DC and we are not talking about Marvel. We are talking about indies. We are talking about Image. We are talking about Dark Horse. We are talking about Boom. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Joe. Please continue. That's okay. But yeah, if you want, listen to our, our last episode, me and V were talking about how we wanted to give some indies a spotlight, see what they're doing, what they're up to, and that's what this episode is going to be about. I wanted to pick something out of what I would normally go for, which is if it's an indie, I normally go for something that's mainstream that I already know something about, whether it's a comic based on a video game like God of War or Horizon, but I wanted to do something brand new. I did this one called Deep Below. It's actually four issues in. It's from Image, and it's actually written by Mirka Andolfo and David Goy. Mirka Andolfo actually did a lot of work for DC and I'm sure for Marvel as well over the years and I think still pops in from time to time because I definitely saw their name pretty recently. The artist is also Andrea Brocardo and what pulled me to it is that like it kind of had like a sci-fi feel to it. Pretty much it's like a post Y2K thing if like Y2K actually happened. Oh my gosh. But along with all the computer crashes and everything, there was this weird chemical virus that started to spread across the earth. And slowly but surely, you know, the whole environment becomes toxic. Everybody around the earth that isn't infected starts putting up these bubble colonies. This takes place in 2085. So for the past 85 years, scientists all over the world have been trying to study this chemicals. Why is the earth like this? What can we do to bring it back to how things were? And one of those things along with research is studying ocean life all the way to the depths that we are still even exploring today. Sounds kind of awesome. It does sound awesome. I breezed through the first three issues and then I had to reread the first three issues because it was not something you can just breeze through. They hit you hard with so much information in just the first issue mm-hmm. alone. They barely explain this whole situation to you of what's going on. All you know is that something happened and it's spread across the earth and people are mutating plant life is mutating animals are mutating and there was a deep sea mission that went wrong because the infection got into the submarine and so now there was a rescue mission of some kind the president of these american colonies wanted to send a rescue mission because the lead scientist on that mission was her wife but the other people along with this government thing it's really complicated to understand because like you would think like oh they're the president they just rule all the american colonies apparently doesn't actually work like that they had like another thing it's like well a lot of us don't want to do that but it's really just from this one higher up doesn't really make any sense 
And they basically said, we don't want to do a rescue mission. So there's a lot of that back and forth. Let me give you like a little premise here, summing up the pastry issues before this last one. In 2017, in this timeline, the U.S. started to branch off into the colonies, depending on technology to survive the polluted environment and the monsters that now live in it. Pamela Bell is the scientist who went missing while discovering a region of anomalies in the North Atlantic Ocean. Paul Bailey is Pam's colleague and her ex-lover and wants to go searching while the authorities do not. And he is kidnapped by a group led by Pam's twin, Jolene. Oh, dear. Okay. And also remember that Pamela, the one who went missing, is the president's wife. So Uh. there are a lot of streams getting crossed here. So Paul and Jolene, along with their other group, find Pam sub and find the crew completely infected, and there's an escape pod missing. So they believe that Pam is alive because they couldn't find her from her iconic matching tattoo that her and her sister both have. So the group heads to the mysterious locations that Pam was heading to, which is a triangular-looking abyss in the ocean floor with a floating station above it. And it turns out to be an old United Nations substation from before Y2K. And also along this time, you have what they're calling um, the Anti-Government Task Force. Because they think that Pam's sister's uh, group are terrorists that are trying to do bad things to the American colony. So they are on the hunt. Okay. Because Pam, but Pam's twin, she is a bad guy, right? Because she kidnapped... She didn't. Uh, Paul went with her willingly. Okay. Because he also wants to rescue Pam. But the first time they encountered this anti-terrorist group, he explained who he was. So then he just made himself an open target for them. He's like, oh, so you sided with the terrorists. So now we're going to be hunting you down as well. Oh, dear. Yeah. So they start exploring this submarine thing. They find out that there's apparently been research about it since the 1700s which does not make sense to me because it is very technological and all the computers are from the 90s and there's floppy disks galore and there's also some weird things that look like the infected areas above ground Mm -hmm. but it's more like pod shaped and when i first saw this i thought of egg the mutant from the x-men Because the pods look exactly the same. I was like, oh, gross. I don't want this. (laughs) To be fair, that pod shape has been seen in a lot of sci-fi films. Like, you've seen an alien, you see it. It has. (laughs) That was the most recent thing that came to mind for me when I was reading it. So, while exploring, they find a transportation room that was infected, but the air is fine for some reason. And like I said, that's where they saw the pods and whatnot. They find an elevator terminal that drops all the way down to like the bottom of that triangular abyss. They also notice on the docking bay, like computer thing, that somebody 30 hours prior to them arriving at the station had used this terminal. They find a message that was left by Pam, basically like 95% infected by this giant virus, saying her goodbyes to her sister, saying her goodbyes to her wife, even saying her goodbyes to Paul. And also letting them all know, do not go searching for her. I have detonators all over the substation. It is going to blow at the end of this recording. Well then. Along with that, apparently what is at the bottom of this abyss is something alien. 
It is some type of robotic cybernetic organism that these people have apparently nicknamed Sharp Edge. That is an unstoppable killing machine. Nothing made from humans as of so far has been able to stop them. While this thing breaks into the substation, one of the pods start to hatch and a guy comes out of it. Some guy named Rock Morton, apparently born in 1947, was left in cryofreeze until the 90s and then he was put in that pod. He basically tells them all, he's like, oh, our only way out of here if this thing is gonna blow is we have to go down into the abyss. So then, just for exposition's sake, they all go into the terminal and they end up at this alien teleporter. And that's it. That was all four issues. The plot I can understand, it just sounds like a basic sci-fi rescue mission type of thing. Mm -hmm. Overall, there was a lot of information to take in, like I said. They still did not do a good job explaining everything. The relationship ties is what really confuses me the most because all these people seem to have some type of relationship thing going on with one another and nothing is ever fully explained. It's only half explained. I can read this on like a pastime. I'm not eager to read it. That's why I gave it like a five out of 10. It was an okay story. The art is a lot better than I was expecting for an indie. I will say that it did look like something that I would have picked up from DC or Marvel or something. And you know, normally like a theme like that, like I love sci-fi. That's usually what would draw me to an indie. I love anything with the ocean and any like mutated creatures and stuff like that based on things that we already know of. I love that stuff. So I was really excited to kind of read this. So I was a little bit bummed out about it. So V, you had two indies that you actually read. Yeah, well, I read a whole series last week. <laughs> it was called The Last Witch. Um, it's by Boom. Okay. I did not like it. It's the Avatar, but with witches. <laughs> and they actually like, trace Sokka. It's a whole thing. I did not like it. <laughs> so I went ahead and picked something from this week. I went to Dark Horse, and I read a Mike Mignola-Chris Robertson team-up nice. called The House of Lost Horizons, a Sarah Jewel Mystery. Ooh. Yeah, so this is a number one. It's kind of like the locked room cozy mystery, right? So it's kind of Agatha Christie inspired. Mm-hmm. This girl shows up to an island in a storm at night, and this girl is flagging her down, and she's like, oh, she's coming down to greet me. She keeps running. She gets to the docks, and she's like, I was trying to get the boat to stop, and it's like already gone. And she's like, I'll come back. All of the communications have been shut down because of the storm, and they can't reach the outside world on this island. Mm -hmm. And there's been a murder. <laughs> Everyone is trapped on the island with the murderer. So we get to see all these people. Is I'm this pretty sure. Neko? This is so many things. This is great. <laughs> so it's like everyone's very proper in this. It's like a dinner party and someone's died and now they have to figure out who killed him out of like the <laughs> civilized people who are there. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of seems like a cozy mystery. Yeah. It didn't give me much. This was pretty by the book. It didn't offer anything new so far. So my advice for this one would probably be to wait until it builds up a little bit and then mm -hmm. read them all at once. Yeah, I think it was really neat. It's uh, the artist by Leila Del Duca. It's not very detailed. 
but it's uh, serviceable, and I think it fits the plot pretty well. Nice. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I don't really think I can give it much of a, a like, oh, this is definitely really good, but, like, it's shaping up to maybe be pretty good. And okay. if there's some sort of twist that we haven't seen before in one of these, you know, mystery cozies, or what are they called, murder cozies? I think I so, know. yeah. It's going to be a fun ride either way. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Good eight out of ten. Wow. I'm hoping to become a ten out of ten. If that's it really amazing. good, though. Oh, that's actually pretty surprising. Well, I mean, like it doesn't have anything bad to it, but sure. it, like I said, it's just a setup. There's yeah, no yeah. payoff right yeah. now, and I think they're gonna drag it out for the whole series. I mean, it definitely sounds really interesting. It could also be because I'm still coming off the high of you showing me both Clue and Knives Out. Yes, <laughs> I love it, Knives Out. It's so good. <laughs> Right? Okay, so this is very similar to those. Yeah. Okay. So, feel like it's 1920s. They might have mentioned it, but I booked it fast, thinking I was going to get to the meat of it, and I, I didn't. <laughs> but the main character is, like, a 1920s dame with a, his flapper haircut, and her best friend is the this elegant other lady. Two best friends solving mysteries, being elegant. <laughs> and I looked it up. Because they were like, it's a Sarah Jewell mystery. And I was like, ooh, Sarah Jewell. I don't know who that is. Me either. Um, nope. She apparently was also in Rise of the Black Flame and Witchfinder, The Reign of Darkness. Witchfinder, I've read a little bit of that, but I honestly can't remember anybody's names. So I don't know if this is an extended universe of... Oh, yeah, it's Hellboy Universe. Oh, okay. Okay. So there could be a possible supernatural twist to something a little bit that might throw a wrench in all of this. Yes, because now that I'm remembering, Witchfinder was like this girl who was like some kind of detective, but she like would stumble onto supernatural mysteries. And so this is Sarah Jewell. She's a paranormal detective, and she has an associate, uh. Marie Therese. I didn't even read the description. There are no supernatural elements thus far mm -hmm. that I could see. I'm starting to reevaluate the whole story. Hang on, guys. I need to go back and read it. But in the meantime, yeah, I, I guess we're going to get some supernatural stuff, which... Well, especially if, like, it's the world of Hellboy and it's being written by Mike Mignola. Yeah. This makes me less interested. <laughs> <laughs> You're not crazy about Hellboy? No, I love Hellboy, and I love Mike Mignola, but I was looking forward to a mystery. Just like, like a regular... Yeah, if you have a locked room mystery, right... The, the detective goes, oh no, someone died in a locked room that could only be opened from the inside. How did they die? And you're like, oh, it was a demon who transports through walls. That yeah. just, it's less interesting. I it really you. does kill the suspense, so hopefully there's <laughs> another angle to this besides that whole Which thing. Which one of these guests did it? <laughs> oh, it was the demon in the closet. <laughs> Though, like, when you mentioned, oh, <laughs> going on an island, storm knocked out communication, somebody died. We see that in a lot of mystery novels. And then you threw supernatural stuff, and I'm like, all I can think of is Umanoko uh, now, which is this crazy throw-the-whole-mystery-genre-on-its-head. I would not be surprised if they were influenced by that series, because it's great. Yeah, maybe. You know what? Never mind. This is fine. I think it's going to be a really good time. Okay. I might pick this up. It does sound like a pretty good setup, at least. Nice. And Muse, you have something from another different publisher. I am covering Wind number six 
and new publishers. Boom. Many of you know my love of this series. I know we talked about it on an earlier podcast episode. Mm-hmm. The writer, of course, is James Tinian IV, and the artist is Michael Dialinas. If you haven't been reading Wind, Wind is a story about, it's kind of like a coming-of-age story, fantasy mixed with a little steampunk involved. So at this point, Wind has gotten away with his childhood best friend who he grew up with, the prince and the royal gardener. They've gotten out of Pipe Town and they're making their way to drop the prince off. So I'm going to once again praise this comic's art to no end. It's beautiful. I love the colors. I love the expressiveness. It just really embodies the tone. But at the beginning, we get a glimpse of when Molly, that was the lady who kind of raised wind, who her hair looked like a cinnamon roll. Right. (laughs) Like after she first found him outside in the forest and brought him into Pipe Town. So we could see little baby wind wrapped up in a blanket with his name embroidered on it. She encounters, like, this guard guy that might be her husband. I don't know. He tries to shout out that this crazy woman's trying to, like, bring this weird blood kid into the pipe town. And she's like, shut up. And we actually get to see an interesting glimpse of Wynn's possible parents or somebody Hmm. related to him or something because there's these crow-raven-like creatures that are chilling on top of the wall watching Molly take Wind into pipe town. And they resemble the feathered wings that he grew at the end mm. of the last major story. And they do show up again later in the story. So I'm like, this is going to be a continuous thing because Wind has been seeing visions. He's been seeing dreams that have led him to where he is because he saw himself flying. He saw himself changing and he got wings in issue five. Though in, one of my gripes about this very beginning was uh, page four and five. I could not figure out actually out how the reading order was. They're just, Uh, it was weird. I didn't know if it was actually down page by page or it was across both. There was nothing really indicating the flow because I know Mm -hmm. some comic artists, if you have like a wide spread, they'll go across, but typically Mm -hmm. you're going to go down the page. Mild gripe. We get that. Then we go right back into present day and the king is up and about he's been sick for a while which is kind of a big concern people are having because the king's sick and he's probably gonna die he has called in the vampires to help track down his runaway prince so it seems like the vampires are also a subset of weird bloods like anyone touched by magic Okay. Which was revealed in issue five that the guy with the bandages around his face was a vampire. He was wrapping the bandages around his face and around his body to protect himself from the sun. Mm-hmm. And they're really good at tracking those with magical blood. Can we talk about how he's just like, yeah, he's a bird kid. His name's Wind, but with a Y. Oh, yeah, they're vampires with a Y. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it fantasy-like. It does make it fantasy-like, and they do spell fairy with, like, the A-E. He can't like keep fae. getting away with it! <laughs> <laughs> Alright, one more Y out of him, and I'm just gonna start questioning. <laughs> it's fancy. It's gourmet. <laughs> oh, jeez. It seems like in this universe, the vampires don't like human blood. They like weird blood blood they're like human blood tastes disgusting that's why they track it because 
they're hunting. You're like, okay, that kind of makes a little more sense. And it seems like them getting rid of the other weird bloods is beneficial to the vampires, which is why she and her brother, who was the bandage man, align themselves with those in Pipe Town. And mm-hmm. Zedra, the lady in charge of the vampires, I don't know if she's completely in charge of the whole vampire clan or if she's just in charge of this one specific group. Her design's really cool. And the rest of her, like, servants are, like, bandaged up like her brother was. She's going to be formidable. Based off her design with the red and the black and the spookiness, she's a vampire. It's like, can you say antagonist for this storyline? Yeah. (laughs) Mm. But as her ship is coming into Pipe Town, which it seems like they haven't raised these gates in a while, so it's, like, a huge deal. Everyone's, like, crowding around it. Even those who are locked in jail are interested by it. And you're like, okay, why do we care about this jail? And you're like, oh, wait, the chef from the restaurant that Wind worked at and Molly ran, the one that defended Wind and Oakley because the guards were trying to capture Wind, he's in jail along with Ash, who is the royal gardener, the father of the hunky dude that Wind Oh, right, right. He got arrested for not killing the weird-blooded rose creature long enough. It was really weird why Mm. they arrested him. I can't remember the exact details. And I wouldn't also be surprised that they arrested him for his son's actions on rescuing the prince and getting him out of Pipe Town. Mm. Kidnapping the prince in their eyes. So he's also in this jail clutching a token that actually has his son's name, Thorn, on it. So Zedra has been tasked to go and pretty much bring the prince back home okay we do see a short page of the queen seeing all of this going down she's concerned she's not happy about this and then we go to our main group and yorick the obnoxious prince is riding on when to get a look of the ship that is upcoming on them which apparently is his cousin's ship uh-huh and he's being a little bitch about it. I can't stand the prince. This is literally the biggest issue I have with the series is he is so whiny and obnoxious. And <laughs> I don't know if this guy is ever going to change his ways. He's screaming at wind. And it's like, uh-huh. dude, open your eyes. I don't think you can open them any lighter. <laughs> he doesn't even have eyelids. And his eyes are like two thirds of his face. Mm. But as this is happening, Oakley is just sass incarnate. And she's so mm-hmm. sarcastic because Thorn comes out and he's like, oh, is everything going okay? I hope you didn't drop him. And it's like, I never wish something like that. I'm a sweet, innocent child who would never wish any ill upon her prince. I'm like, I'm thinking this. Please fall into the water. And he does <laughs> because he sees the ship. He notices that, yes, it's his cousin is right there on the ship. And he's like, I don't want to be seen flying around at a chicken boy. Turn back, turn back. And this dumbass starts choking him with his shirt, like literally trying to like pull his shirt like he's a horse. What do you think is going to happen when just got these wings and he falls into the water and he gets upset that wind dropped him into the water that he caused? I understand this guy is supposed to be obnoxious, but it is who boy don't like him. So we're trying to get him to cheat slash switch by making us hate his current love interest, right? Isn't that like the yeah, common we've romance trope? Yeah, always not like Yorick. Like, he, reading issues one through five, I didn't like Yorick. He was cowardly. Also, he took advantage of Thorne's kindness because him and Thorne were childhood friends because 
York's the prince, Thorne grew up in the palace, being the gardener's son, and they were the only people in the same age, so they grew up together. York just is an entitled, obnoxious kid. Like, I understand, based off of what he went through, what's going on with his father, him not having the same views of, like, what's going on as his father, but good lord, because <laughs> Thorne noticed in issue five when wind was like i'm gonna go be brave i'm gonna go give you guys a chance to get to the ship so he runs off thorn asked to york are you concerned about wind and york literally pretty much tells him to his face i could care less i still don't understand why he has like an issue with being seen by his cousin being flown by wind we're not giving any indication because we meet his cousin right after because he falls in the water and gets rescued by his cousin's ship and the prince's cousin he's kind of full of himself but He's not a bad guy, like, hopefully it's not a facade. I guess York just doesn't like him because he doesn't like happy people? Because he's cartoonishly evil. <laughs> he's just perpetually, like, upset. We also get introduced, I think he's, like, a friend or some kind of little secretary. Oh, the pink-haired guy with turtleneck? He's this little nerdy artist guy, and I'm like, okay. He seems like a fine character. He seems to have an interest in wind, which makes Wynn blush and go, oh snap, no one's ever shown interest in me. They're seeming to set up a potential other love interest for Wind because someone's interested in him, but he's had this mega crush on Thorn for like ever, which might create some unnecessary drama down the line because we've already got Thorn and York's relationship that doesn't actually exist, but it's just Thorn pining. Can he just be <laughs> his friend? Can Teak just be his friend? Uh, aside from the shipping dilemma that you've run afoul of, can I just say, it's th when they run into the new people, the style of clothing is a choice. Yeah. We've been in medieval land, and all of a sudden, large fellow has a hoodie, and uh -huh. small pink-haired nerd has a turtleneck with a trench coat. Like, I get it. There's some crossovers, but... Yeah, we've really had a shift in outfits, because the king is in, like, medieval royal garb. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not super high fantasy. But then this guy kind of looks like he's wearing Jordans or something. He's got the Charlie Brown stripe on his jacket. Yeah. He's got like a very modern, I guess they both have the same haircut. Mm -hmm. It's shaved on the sides and heavy on top. I don't know if it's jarring. Yeah, I, I also noticed the style change. Maybe people in Pipetown are just medieval and everyone else is like vaporwave. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We haven't seen much of the area outside of Pipetown, but we get Oakley being a really amazing supportive friend. I really like her character. She has seen Wynn's little crush on Thorn. He mentions this new person wants to sit with him at dinner and she's pretty much tells it to him straight she's like dude i want you to be happy i know you like this guy but go explore like talk to teak it's fine like it's not gonna be anything we might not be with them once we hit port like they got their own thing going on and we've got ours like we gotta focus on ourselves right now and the vampire lady has got subs apparently and uh fired a bunch of torpedoes at a wooden ship I like that the vampires are always bandaged up like mummies. I like that they have torpedoes instead of ships. Or not torpedoes, uh, submarines. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. They, they're taking the anti-sun thing seriously, unlike some vampires in popular fiction. <laughs> One last thing that I have a beef with with this, and that is love interests, shirts, and how tight they are. <laughs> always. 
It reminds me of like any woman that J. Scott Campbell has ever drawn. <laughs> I want to bring that back around. We're making it topical. Here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone else is wearing baggy clothes, and then we have to shrink wrap the love interest. <laughs> I, I get it. She want to ogle him as he like scratches his head and flexes his pecs. Though I am interested because we know Wind has a crush on Thorn, and Thorn kind of has feelings for. York the prince but with how wind has interacted with thorn there's been next to not much interaction that we've really truly seen so I'm like I really don't know what Tidian is gonna do with these characters either way I'm more invested in like what is going on with wind mm. his backstory mm-hmm. the world building but sometimes <laughs> romantic subplots can really take away from the greater story especially when you've got unnecessary drama or love triangles that don't CW. to be there. But like anybody, yeah. <laughs> they always do that. Well, anybody who's like, here's a coming of age story, you're like, oh, a love triangle, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah but I would have preferred it to like have just the actual little love triangle that we had. Now we threw this poor, hapless, pink-haired child into this story. I've never seen... Tinian write anything to do with relationships like this so I have no idea yeah. how this is gonna go the only thing I can go off of is his Batman and uh, the way of dealing with relationships there is oh so we're gonna go on a one year break <laughs> <laughs> put her away um, <laughs> relationships are hard goodbye Catwoman okay we're doing this again but in, in wind at least like I know that my critique of the first one was I was uncomfortable with how young the protagonist was and yes. how he was drooling over an adult mm-hmm. and now wind looks a lot older I don't like how he's drawn anymore he looks weird but he's uh he's gone through his gangly face and so they look more like they're the same age uh-huh. and yet the hunk is still saran wrapped and he's the only one like I would understand if everyone was saran wrapped but everyone has cuffs this guy's wearing a polo shirt that's like three times too small for him and made out of film because there's only a line drawn across his arm there are no cuffs this is actually painted on him and he's not like being gross he's not like objectifying him you know he's just pining a little yeah, I thought Wind looked older in this issue. <laughs> he pulled an Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at some of the older issues, and he looks like the protagonist out of a Ghibli film. Mm-hmm. He looks mm-hmm. like a 10-year-old kid. Yeah. Maybe Thorne is, like, 18, 19, but he's a big dude. He looks like he's 35, okay? <laughs> Let's not beat around the bush. I know a lot of indie comics or web comics when they first start out sometimes they're like art's a little inconsistent at first because they're still getting used to drawing their character and now he's set on like this is what the character looks like the characters have definitely changed over yeah. time okay so we're six issues in mm-hmm. right this is 100% the prequels of Star Wars okay everyone else is the same age except for the main character <laughs> who is now an adult suddenly. Yeah. I didn't like it, Benny. <laughs> it was like, you keep your child hands off of Padme. Um, yes. He's a baby, I remember. I draw like that. I love the chubby face. <laughs> but he's not a chubby face anymore. He's a, a mutant child, uh, adult 
thing. I guess an adolescent. So, <laughs> you know those. <laughs> Sorry, adolescents. Um, but yeah, like, he looks like he and Thorne are roughly the same age now. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like... Height difference, man. Yeah. I think they're trying to subtly change it. I think that was or the maybe aim. when he got his wings, there was a change like maybe he kind of like <laughs> growth stunted he because of things like edward elric i don't know why are you conspiracy theorying this it's right on the pages <laughs> i'm just throwing something at a wall and hoping it sticks. it's not but, sticky um... here's the thing he's <laughs> he started out as a baby he's grown up in like what was it a month he's a grown-up now and we all have to accept it the art is consistent throughout the issue in this issue he is a grown-up or at least a, a teen and I'm just, like, looking at bubblegum hair, turtleneck boy, I'm like, I'm going to call him Dr. Doppler now. So, looking at Dr. <laughs> Doppler. Dr. Doppler! <laughs> he looks like he belongs in an after-school special, okay? He and his friend, Static Shock 2.0, <laughs> they both kind of look like they showed up in a 90s cartoon. They're like, hey, my name's Cool Jim, and this is my friend, Bubblegum Hair, and we're here <laughs> to tell you... About the environment. Yeah! And they greet him, and they bring him onto their, like, medieval pirate ship, which is odd. I'm confused, but, like, at the same time, I think it's nice that he's branching out, he's making new friends, and maybe he can pine after someone his own age. (laughs) I guess we'll see who he saves first when that submarine attacks him. (laughs) I know. Yeah, you can't really fly around with whatever that guy is, the bear. (laughs) But... Another thing that, like, he mentioned, like, the height difference, it wasn't just him and Thorn. Yorick is also tall, lanky prince. And I remember he was t- foot taller than Wind, but he does not look like he's much bigger than Wind when he's flying around with him. And, like, how is Wind carrying this guy? He struggled at the end of issue five. Like, he's grown up. He just grew. He had a weird growth spurt <laughs> in the middle. I don't know. Maybe he grows faster than other people. Or maybe... Time just works differently over there. <gasps> and because he's magical, he ages at a faster rate. Yeah. That's boom. Boom. Or yeah. boom. Take that, George Lucas. It's <laughs> <laughs> your excuse, Medichlorians. <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that all night. That's opened up an old wound. Um. <laughs> so what would you rate this, Muse? I'm still going to give it an 8 out of 10. I really enjoy this story a lot. Mm-hmm. The world building is so compelling. We didn't get much characterization about wind right now because it was focused on so many other people. Oakley is just a mood. I love her. <laughs> She's been such a good supportive person since like the first time we saw her. I was like, I enjoy her, especially how she cares so much about wind. Mm-hmm. There are siblings. It would be higher if I didn't have to deal with Prince Yorick. Maybe he'll die in the next issue. <laughs> Doubtful. He's like the MacGuffin. What if, though, like, he and, and Thorne, like, take off, and then that gives you time to focus on Wind's story? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Whenever they get the prince wherever he needs to go, I would actually not be surprised if Thorne is kind of, like, done with York and is like, well, I got you here. Seems like Wind and Oakley need me to protect them while Wind's trying to figure out what's going on. I'm going to go with them. And that's kind of my the vibe I'm getting that Tinian's kind of, like, hinting at. Like, there was already, like, a rockiness to, like, their friendship even before Thorn left with him? Maybe. I think that to, like, push him off, you would have to do something really bad. 
like bait for the vampires. <laughs> he, he says, take him, not me. <laughs> <sighs> we'll see. Well, that's cool. I'm glad you had fun, and I'm yeah. glad you explained it all to us more slowly than I think either of us explained ours. Well, you guys weren't as interested, mm -hmm. so. No. I mean, it's just there wasn't as much there. Yeah, and you've been loving it since the beginning. You've been following it since the beginning. So now, did you start it because it was like a genre that you liked, or was it just because of Tinian? Um, both. I saw that Tinian was doing his own indie. I know he's writing some indie horror stuff. Yeah. I will not touch those. I'm not a <laughs> horror fan. But just seeing the cover for issue one and then hearing the fantasy vibe coming of age story, I was like, this looks really good. So that's why, that's why I picked it up over his other stuff. Yeah, I saw the Department of Truth, one of his, and I think I got to, like, a second page, and there was more words on just that one page, and I probably did not think was possible from Tanya and of all people. <laughs> wow, that's, that's why I find Wynn so surprising. Yeah, the dialogue it's is so short. He gives a lot of time to the artist to actually get stuff across without words. It's like what he, in uh, Batman, when uh, he gave Jimenez like two pages of just Batman, just Oh, right, during, during Joker, Joker War. War. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's more collaboration in Wind than I've seen in a lot of the stuff he's done, because, well, yes. at least the DC stuff. I haven't been reading his, mm -hmm. his horror things, but just like the collaboration, the trust between image and text. Whereas, yes. like, when he overdoes it on text, what I see is, like, he doesn't trust the artist to convey it. Mm. So then he just fills mm. up half the panel with dialogue? Yeah. <laughs> In the thought boxes. Oh, yeah. I have only seen one issue where there was a lot of words, but it was exposition about, like, the mythology mm -hmm. and the creation of this world, which was kind of necessary. Right. You either do it in one fell swoop or you sprinkle it in. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel bloated to me no i'm like mentally remembering like some of the stuff with the selena crotch shots or like <laughs> the ones where like the artists just take off and do their own thing mm -hmm. and like it doesn't serve the text and the text doesn't serve the art and you feel yeah. like you're wasting time as you mm -hmm. read through these batman comics yeah that's probably why he's working with jimenez more and not so much gillen march or yeah, tony daniel maybe. though he Could is working be. with uh gillen march on the joker comic yeah, he says he loves working with Gil and March, but I don't know. Could just be lip service. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't really feel like their styles blended well together, mm -hmm. but just in general, like even right now with Jimenez, the boxes aren't going away. We're just getting lots of boxes. We get Gimsuit Batman. Why? I don't know. Killing joke. <laughs> we get the starting off. The situation is like, what is happening? We'll tell you, but not for several more issues. So you have to wait months to find out why Batman's in a gimp suit. The inclusion of horror. I don't know. It just feels like he's changing it. I just don't know if he he's knows definitely where throwing to go. a lot more horror aspects into it, which I'm glad to see that he's apparently not doing that for Wind as a Viet. A little darker, but not actual true horror like i think right, he's getting some of his, his little like his eerie <laughs> spookiness out in certain ways this is a very kid-friendly it thing is very so kid-friendly it's mm -hmm. watered down and i feel like you have to have like some tiny element of something scary in fantasy yes. otherwise like what is it it's just happy times and rainbows it's just fluff yeah i mean even star versus 
the forces of evil had horror elements mm-hmm. in it. Same with Steven Universe. This is like baby's first spoop. It got spoopy. Yeah, it's spoopy. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. So I think overall for indies, it, two out of three seems pretty good. Yeah, sadly. It's so sad, too, because the, you had me at that premise. I was like, that's creative. Yeah, it was great, right? But then so you start good. to read through it, and it's like, oh. It didn't even sound similar to the premise that you pitched at first. No. At all. No. It definitely changed course somewhere, but you couldn't tell because the dialogue was just so confusing. I mean, it's kind of mm. setting you up for this vaporwave, lunar punk something. Because it's yeah, like, no. It's in the 90s, so we only have 90s computers. We have floppies. And somehow, with this technology, you're going to get, like, some... Uh, what was that? Horizon's Dawn? Horizon Zero Dawn. Yeah, and you're going to get something like that. And now we're going to go deep sea fishing for uh, colonies down in the depths. Oh my gosh, that would be so cool. Just the types of things they you could draw. Done it. Bioshock? Yes, give me Bioshock. <laughs> They could have done something great, but it's boring. But that's okay, because we're done with those now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Now we got news. Well, I have news. It's a little bit old. It's all Marvel news, actually, this time around. (laughs) Musa's trying to start a wave in her room. (laughs) Everyone after me, whoa! (laughs) Just a little trickle. All aboard the Marvel train. Oh. Choo-choo. It's just called Disney's <laughs> Rock and Roller Coaster. Uh, Disney's little cash cow. <laughs> anyway, Marvel had a giant announcement about their Phase 4 for the MCU. Mm. They talked about the newest movies that are coming out. So this all came out on May 3rd, so this is actually 10 days old now. Because we were supposed to cover this last week, but we didn't, so Sorry. we're covering it now. Okay. They release a whole new trailer with a Stanley voiceover, which apparently people are upset that they're misusing his words and the videos on the screen do not match up correctly with Stanley's original intent about what he was saying, but basically saying like everyone's around you is like we all have to help one another, like that guy over there, that's your brother, that woman's your sister. Yeah, that's what I got off of the vibe, and then they were I thought it was just kind of like Marvel being like, hey, we're here to support you guys. Everything's all good during, like, the pandemic kind of thing. Like, I was like, oh, this is a really, like, uplifting speech. And it was like, yeah, because Marvel's here and we're back, baby. And you're like, oh, no, you did not just use this to promote. Well, it's not just that. It was also the fact of, like, when he's saying these things, like, that guy over there, that's your brother. They're showing on the screen from the MCU, like, sibling relationships during those whole aspects when that's not supposed to be the original message (laughs) they're showing like gamora and nebula oh yeah but like you're not they took it a little literally but (laughs) a little too literally and people are upset about it because that's just funny though (laughs) anyway so within this video after the stanley thing you have the typical like Avengers soundtrack in the background with all these new trailers, starting off with Black Widow, coming out in July still. Shang-Chi, coming out in September. 
the Eternals, the first look at their trailer with Angelina Jolie and Rob Stark, which I keep forgetting he's in it. Yes, he's in that. Is it good? Does it look good? I haven't seen it. I know it. nothing about the Eternals, but I'll check it out. It looks really interesting. Yeah. A lot of people are kind of guessing based off of seeing them kind of in normal civilian clothes that it might be kind of based off of the most recent run with the Eternals. Essentially, like, the Eternals get tricked into losing their memory and they've been living on Earth so that would make sense as to why they weren't there or cognizant of like what's going on when the world went to hell in a handbasket with Thanos. So because they're very powerful beings, they're what was the Greek gods were based off of were the Eternals. I don't know too much about them, but they're very old. So okay, interesting. Well, like I said, that looked interesting. I want to see that. You have Spider-Man No Way Home coming in December of this year. I did not know it was coming out this year. I thought it was next year. And then we get into 2022's titles, starting with the sequel, Doctor Strange, coming out in March. Then we have Thor Love and Thunder coming in May. Black Panther Wakanda Forever in July. Instead of Black Panther 2, they changed it to Wakanda Forever. The Marvels, which is Captain Marvel (laughs) 2. Coming out in November, showing both Monica Rambeau and Kamala Khan. So it does make a little more sense. Well, I think that was a lot of the criticism of the first one, is a lot of people were upset that the original Captain Marvel got shanked as well as Monica. Mm -hmm. And so now they're giving us Monica and they're also giving us Kamala. So, like, they're like, here you go. Stop complaining. Yeah, I'm wondering how much they're going to reference WandaVision in that sequel, too. Because I know that they wanted to have, like, some type of, like, background stuff going on in those TV shows. But according to Kevin Feige, he's like, I want to focus more on the moviegoers and people who are just going to watch those. We don't want them to get too confused mm. about what happened in the Disney Plus shows. They might reference it similar to the reference to Budapest. Of like, if you've been there, you know about it, but Budapest is just like a running gag at this point between the two. Of them. Yeah. They might mention Westview, but they won't go into detail. Like when you're reading a comic and they mention something and then you have like asterisk, editor's note, please see this. It's going to be like that. I have a feeling. Hinting like, hey, if you want to know more about what they're (laughs) referencing here, go watch WandaVision. Wouldn't that be funny if they started doing that in movies where they just have like (laughs) yellow boxes? There's just like a little asterisk because there's Mm -hmm. an editor now who like has to go in and put all that in. (laughs) And it just has like a cutesy little sign off Mm -hmm. like, Dave. (laughs) 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 But... Yeah, I I don't know. I I don't think it portrays um, Monica in the best of light because she definitely didn't do anything for all those people. Yeah. Anyway, finish it off. 2023, we have Ant-Man number three, Quantumania. We have Guardians of the Galaxy volume three, releasing in May of 2023. And then at the very end of the video, you have the Marvel logo, and behind it, the famous Fantastic Four logo. So we know that eventually, slowly but surely, (laughs) they will be introduced. Will they listen to the fan casting of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt? We don't know. Will Chris Evans reprise his role because he's no longer Captain America? I sure hope so. (laughs) I would like it if everyone who's cast is named Chris. I don't care if they've been in a Marvel property before. I want, like, it'll be, like, four Chris's. Well, that was the thing, too. There was a going gag, because you had Chris Pine, you have Chris Evans, you have Chris Hemsworth, and you have Chris Pratt. 
Yes. And it needs to be called The Crisis, but it's spelled with a PH. <laughs> the Crisis. <laughs> I was like, All right. is this like a James Bond thing? <laughs> yes. <The> crush. Um, <laughs> crush. We're all crush. <laughs> well, good luck. Fantastic Four is a fantastic property, and they need to do it right. Someday it will happen. Who would you fan cast as Doctor Doom? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just have like who played the young Magneto? Oh, uh, Michael Fassbender. Yeah. Michael Fassbender I could see do him. it. Yeah, I could, but at the same time, that would just probably confuse the frig out people. So. I mean, Let if they could confused. do Pietro and Wandavision, true, they could do Fassbender at Doctor Doom. They were just testing the waters with that one. They're like, <laughs> finally, it's safe to cast Michael Fassbender as Doom. Though I think Phase Five is when the X Men get introduced. <gasps> yeah. Anyway, second bit. Still Marvel movies, but it's not the MCU. It is the sequel to Venom. Let There Be Carnage. People which are really excited about that actually one. looked good. It looks good. Woody Harrelson playing Carnage. Good casting. Also, Shriek is going to be making an appearance in the movie. Really? That's mm-hmm. exciting. I know we had the little cameo of Woody Harrelson at the end of Venom, and I was like, mm-hmm. that's like the perfect pick right? for Carnage. He embodies that character. That looked really good. But I don't think it's going to be like, ooh, a great new Marvel property. It's going to be another one of those, like, that's all I hear through the whole first Venom movie. Well, especially since, like, during the trailer now, you see more of Eddie and Venom just kind of, like, being bromates. It's slapstick. It's great. Venom making him breakfast. Like, what's going on here? It's just going to be silliness. Like, they are not going to take anything seriously. And that's fine. It's fine. It's going to be entertaining. It's going to be fun. It's going to be so entertaining. I also want to know how it's going to tie into the Morbius movie that's also coming out. Because that's in the same universe. I don't think they can capture the same mood in Morbius. Well, it's already showed to be a darker tone, but also Michael Keaton's in it, so, like, he can bring a little hokiness. I don't know. The only exposure to Morbius I have is from, like, the Lego Marvel Superheroes 2. All I have is the 90s Spider-Man cartoon where they couldn't say the word blood or call him a vampire, (laughs) so he actually was addicted to plasma. Yeah, and it actually worked well with (laughs) that. And because they couldn't show him biting the necks, he had suctions cups on his hands. Oh my god. Do you remember that? No. He was this hot exchange student, and he was dating um, (laughs) Felicia. Felicia Hardy, yeah. And she's like, sorry, Parker, I'm dating a hot, rich guy. And Parker's like, aww. And she's like... He's perfect. And he's like, oh, she doesn't know I have a secret suction cups on my hands. <laughs> oh, man, the 90s are the best. The, the 90s Spider-Man is one of my favorite superhero cartoons of all time. I just watched this recently as of, like, last year. I was binging the, the TV show. I didn't finish it. I wanted to because I wanted to get to all the other crossover episodes. But he had a five-episode story arc. Yeah. And then he made a re-return appearance. I had to have watched it because I do remember Black Cat in that series. Yeah. I loved her. She was so cool. She was so cool. And Michael kind of got fridged to make her darker. She's like, 
I have a dark past now. My boyfriend is dead. <laughs> and she like she goes nuts. Yeah. It's, it was so good. I want to do a rewatch of that. <laughs> yeah, me oh too. Oh my god, I do remember him. He does not look like Morbius though. He does eventually. Yeah. He does that same thing that Spider-Man does, I think. There's like this this magical machine that like mixes up animal juice and people juice and like <laughs> turns you into a person animal hybrid like Spider-Man. Is that what Hannibal Lecter calls his blunder? <laughs> <laughs> No, he, he like, did the same thing Spider-Man did. I think he might have actually borrowed... People seem to accidentally borrow Spider-Man's plasma a lot. And I think it might have got mixed in with that. Mm. And that might have been the cause of the lizard, too. I don't remember. Well, after this whole story arc, it's when Peter turned into a giant monster spider himself when he grew those extra arms and stuff, and then the X-Men yeah. picked them up. Right, right. It was hilarious, too, because he's like, oh, I have all this guilt about Morbius. Like, maybe I was subtly, like, jinxing him with my mind, the secret style, you know? Like, oh, I was, I made him this way because of my blood. I need to fix myself. And then, like, he becomes a mutant. He's like, ah, I can never be happy. And the mutants are like, <laughs> You're one of us now. Like, I'm no mutie. Yeah. <laughs> spits in their face he's like i'm a failed chemistry experience you guys are monsters oh the x-men <laughs> anyway, yeah that's all the news i got so thanks for trying to get us back on track i just love the x-men and you know spider-man I'm so much mediocre when it comes to segues so v way to segues just starts yelling <laughs> I hear you. You want me to read off the DC Comics? For next week, yes. next week, yes. You're great at this. Thank you. Okay, here we go. (laughs) It's too bad you can't see me, because every time I read Batman Fortnite, I want to dab. It's hilarious, because there's a dash, too, so it looks like a dab. (laughs) It kind of does. (laughs) Okay, well, Batman Fortnite, (laughs) zero point number three. It's <laughs> um, coming out. Catwoman 31, The Flash 770, Justice League 61, and Legend of the Dark Knight number one. It's now being printed. It's by writer and artist Derek Robertson. The iconic series Legends of the Dark Knight is back. Comics icons and rising stars alike will tell digital first stories across the Batman mythos. Beginning with comics legend and co-creator of The Boys, Derek Robertson, writing and drawing an epic three-issue supervillain crime drama. A new player has arrived on the scene in Gotham City and is selling deadly chemicals to the worst villains in town, Mr. Freeze, the Penguin, and even the Joker. It's up to Batman to stop the villains, track down the supplier, and save Gotham City once more. And in upcoming issues... Look for stories and art by Stephanie Phillips, Brandon Thomas, Becky Quinn, Matt Rosenberg, Brandon Easton, <laughs> Kian Dormi, Giannis Milangianis, Carl Mostert, and many more. Oh no. Yeah. That read like a threat. <laughs> so because it was a digital first and now it's being printed, I read the first issue of it. Uh-huh. Um, I stopped halfway. Yeah. Ooh. It was not good. Well, you've heard that joke recently about Amazon putting all that money into funding the boys <laughs> and uh, Invincible. 
Oh, you mean Lex Luthor funding television shows that portray <laughs> anti-Superman <laughs> rhetoric, basically. <laughs> We've been watching anti-Superman propaganda, and it's all been funded by Bezos. And it's working. Who <laughs> looks exactly like I'm? I'm torn because, like, if if you want to say Bezos is Lex Luthor, I I understand the correlations. It's much better than anything we have so far. <laughs> my media darling, Grant Morrison, yes, is my pick for Lex Luthor of the year. The fact alone that he went to one of those things where people paparazzi take photos of him, and he is wearing a white suit and a purple tie, and he is bald. Though he's given more, like, kingpin vibes at that point. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, we didn't even include that. Like, like I, I don't twist. think I've ever seen Lex Luthor in an actual white suit. I have in kingpin. Smallville. And a couple comics. And a 90s Very cartoon. Rare. Kingpin's always in a white suit. Mm. Mm, I don't know, thickens. Grant Morrison, he needs to eat more then. He's pretty svelte. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I understand fan casting, it. though. Fan casting approved. <laughs> we're we're still holding out. Um, so back to the serious business at hand. Looney Tunes two hundred sixty, <laughs> Nightwing eighty, Superman Red and Blue number three. Uh, don't look at me like that. Truth and Justice number four, and Wonder Girl number one, written by Joel Jones. It's going to be drawn by Joel Jones and Jordi Belair. What do you mean? Oh no. <laughs> she's du- she's doing double duty. We'll see how. Oh, I see. She I is. Jordi yeah. Belair is she's, doing the coloring. I know she's a really good artist and writer, but like, I know sometimes when people do double duty, like things can fall through the cracks. Yeah, but I mean, if you've read her Future State Wonder Girl, you kind of know what you're in for. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so let's read Yara Flores' intro. The story of Yara Flores starts here. Raised in the far-off land of Boise, Idaho. Yara Flor has always felt something was missing from her life, and now she is headed to Brazil to find it. Little does she know, her arrival will set off a series of events that will change the world of Wonder Woman forever. Her return has been prophesied, and with that prophecy comes the undivided attention of benevolent gods from pantheons beyond. Danger lurks around every corner, but is this young hero ready for her journey? Find out in a debut issue you absolutely cannot miss. I also like that this was supposed to come out in March. Oh, right. Mm -hmm. I was like, this feels late. Yes. Hmm. And the CW show is confirmed canceled. Oh. Good. But Naomi is still in production. Ah. I would have preferred Yara Floor. I wouldn't prefer either. You don't like Yara? She's a little abrasive. I don't know. Like, her mythos is so confusing to me at this point. I just want to know more. Like, tell me all the details. Like, why is she part Greek and Guarani? Why is some of the stuff Brazilian, like, folklore that doesn't fit the Guarani mythos? And why is it sometimes... Is there a Pegasus? Mm -hmm. Why does she know all these, like, tribal Amazonians? But I I do appreciate (laughs) that you are at least getting the Yara Flor that you liked compared to the one that showed up in that Superman oh. Wonder Woman future state. Yeah, the yeah, Superman Wonder that. Woman one, she didn't make any sense to me at all. And she was trying to do social justice things, which doesn't work when you're, like, that strong. Because you're like, I want change. I'm going to do, like, petty stuff. And it's like, you could do something to enact change a little bit better with your powers, but you're just going to, like, be mean. And go talk to the sun. 
I'm going to go yell at the sun. Oh, you have alcohol? All right. Never mind. I don't know. She she was a little bit petty and a little bit, like, one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. But at least mm-hmm. with Joel Jones, she treated it like um, like a fairy tale. Right. Yeah. And it, and so it, it felt more like I was reading a one-off, and I didn't feel like I was breaking a world reading it. But now that she's entering the real world more, I want to know how she fits into it. Okay. Understandably. Hopefully she does a good job I'm, of expressing that. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see how they're going to fit her in and meet Diana and whatnot, because Becky Cloonan has Diana off in Valhalla. Right. And Diana does not sound like Diana right now. She sounds like she's on 90210. Oh, no, really? Wow. Yeah, um, I saw a panel of the latest issue that came out this week, and all I see is her uh, talking to Thor. And he's like, oh, here's the sword, and be careful, it's quite large. And she says, oh, a size joke. That's obvious. Anyway, Thor, I spoke to your daddy, and uh, he called me Wonder Woman, and I think you should be doing the same. Okay. Yep. Someone's trying to be funny. Becky Cloonan. Oh, Becky. Becky's another one of those people who's just a good artist. Like, a really good artist. That makes me (laughs) sad. (laughs) I just, because you know, like you see people, it's it's Joel Jones, you know? I want the best for her. I really do. But sometimes. Also, don't want her to end up in another Catwoman situation where she kind of gets stuck. Yeah, the Catwoman yeah. thing really left a bad taste in my mouth. And so mm-hmm. I, I really am hoping for the best going forward for both Yara Floor and Wonder Woman. Yeah. We will see. And for the Marvel side of things, Muse, if you could please read. I know. Because Marvel fashion, you do have a couple number ones. Yeah, we got a lot of number ones. Um, when I saw that, I was like, didn't we already have a number one on It's this? mainly because of the whole Heroes Reborn event going on. Yeah, there are there like are Heroes three Reborn. Heroes Reborn comics coming out every week. And they're all number ones. And that's all they're going to be, I mm-hmm. think. Um, they might get an issue too. Don't, I doubt it. So we've got The Amazing Spider-Man, number 66. Black Knight, Curse of the Ebony Blade, number three. Captain America number 29, and it's finally starting to wrap up. Champions number 7, Daredevil number 30. The first of our number ones, we've got Fantastic Four Life Story. Um, it is going to be written by Mark Russell, oh. and the artist is Sheen Zakis. I'm sorry if I pronounced that wrong. In the tradition of Spider-Man Life Story, and in celebration of the FF's 60th anniversary, comes the series setting the lives of the fabulous foursome in real time across the years. Amid the backdrop of the Cold War and the space race, a terrible incident gives the Fantastic Four great powers, a terrible secret, and entangles them in the history of their planet. Are they reset? Okay, so they're resetting the series in a new era. I don't know. And Mark Russell? I haven't seen anything about this, so I wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. We've, of course, got Heroes Reborn, number three. We've got Heroes Reborn, Magneto, and the Mutant Force. This is written by Steve Orlando, and the artist is Bernard Chang. Can Magneto resurrect hope for mutant kind before it's too late? Yes, it is all in cap. Um, Years ago, Magneto and Professor X led Earth's mutants in the final push for independence against the Squadron Supreme of America. What followed was the Squadron's mutant massacre, a violent rebuttal that left mutant kind forever wounded and Xavier dead. Or so Magneto thought. Years later, Magneto discovers Xavier clinging to life in the astral plane and gathers his allies for a first-of-its-kind rescue mission. Too bad the same mission puts the mutant force back on the squadron's radar. Failure means the last gasp of mutant kind, but 
Success means the first breaths of something even more elusive to the mutants of Heroes Reborn. Hope. <laughs> okay. Cool. Alternate universe thing. Yep. We got another number one, The Immortal Hulk, Time of Monsters, which is going to be written by Al Ewing. Mm. And the artist is Alex Packendell. Al Ewing and Alex Packendell introduced <laughs> the original Hulk. 10,000 years ago, something green and glowing comes to poison the ancient ground of the Fertile Crescent and the hearts of its people. One boy is left to bear the consequence and for the first time to open the green door. Plus, Bruce Banner faces a challenge unlike any he's seen before as writer David Bond makes his Marvel debut. I have no idea what this is about. You and me both. There's a green door. But apparently the Mortal Hulk, the whole series, has been doing really well for Marvel. Really? Was it also written by Al Ewing? I don't know, but we were recommended it a couple times, actually. Oh, the Immortal Hulk, the original one. Oh, yeah, yeah, I read that. (laughs) All right, so we got a couple more. We got The Mighty Valkyries, number two. Runaways, number 36. Our last of our number ones, we've got Shang-Chi, number one, which I swear already came out. (laughs) I thought so, too. The writer is Jean Luen Yang, and the artist is Dai Kruan. Shang-Chi versus the Marvel Universe! Shang-Chi and his family are back, and this time they're colliding head-to-head with the Marvel Universe's biggest heroes. Shang-Chi has finally taken his place as the leader of the Five Weapons Society, but using an evil secret organization as a force for good won't be easy. And it's about to get a lot harder when Shang-Chi's fellow superheroes, like the Amazing Spider-Man, start to see him as the bad guy. Jean Luen Yang and uh, Dai Kruan return to bring you the next chapter of this Marvel legend. Oh, uh, that's why it was a miniseries. And also uh, because DC is too broke to create any exclusive contracts, that's why Jean Luen Yang is able to write this alongside Batman Superman. Ah. Uh, yeah, that's right. We're going to see a lot more crossovers. Mm-hmm. We got Steve Orlando. Alex and Claire also just made the switch to Marvel after 28 years at DC. And John Romita Jr. is back at Marvel, which they're happy about. I'm happy about <laughs> because he's out of DC. <laughs> <laughs> we got a couple more. We got Star Wars Bounty Hunters number 12, Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman number 3, Way of X number 2, and Wolverine number 12. Nice job. Anyway, that's all we got for this week. So thank you guys for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Outlets podcast. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Outlets. Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week. And please make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and everywhere else you may listen to your podcast. Take care, guys. Bye.